Okay, here we are. Our, um, hopefully our last week on dealing with the demons. Okay, this, this, actually this lesson for those that are new with us, this is actually a lesson that's leading into uh, what I'm hopefully will be starting next week, and that is uh, going through the Ephesians 6, 10, and following about the armor of God. And uh, <clears throat> where it starts there in 6, 10, it says, Finally be strong in the, in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this little introduction is kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, you can kind of subtitle it, Know Your Enemy. So we're going to, we're just looking at Satan and his demons. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the guinea eggs. I, you know, I didn't have one today either. Maybe I should. Yeah, that would clear things up. <laughs> but um, we're on page two. Satan and, and his demons have always opposed God and the gospel. We kind of saw this, the, uh, we looked at the parable of the sower and the, sower and the soils last time briefly uh the parable of the wheat and tares i think everybody's familiar with that where the wheat and the tares which is weeds okay grows up together and then at the final harvest they're separated the wheat goes into the barn the tares go into the fire and you know what that's uh, symbolic of the saved and unsaved and final destination <clears throat> And then we know from 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 that Satan blinds the unbelievers. Right? He blinds them. We'll start there today. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses uh, 3 and 4. <clears throat> Another interesting occurrence for our lesson today is I left my reading glasses at home. And that, that, that sometimes makes things interesting. I... I call out one verse, start reading another. You know, it gets a little little iffy. I'll so, correct you. We'll be thank you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why I brought you I along. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said they're waiting for the next opportunity. They may not. I try. I'll, I'll give it a shot, but if it... <laughs> Yeah, I need this. Okay. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of the, this world, or actually the God of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And we... <clears throat> 
And one thing I, we're all aware of, but it's always good to take another look. We're in 2 Corinthians already, but Satan and his demons will deceive through false teachers and religions. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from, from the simplicity and the purity of the devotion to Christ. For if one comes, or could be the word could be translated, that if could be translated since, one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you, you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. That bear this beautifully sounds kind of weird, but the, we don't talk that way anymore. But what that basically is saying is, hey, you Corinthians, I mean, this false teaching comes in. You just uh, just accept it as if it's something wonderful. That's why Second Corinthians, uh, you, know, you read First Corinthians, you you kind of get the idea there's problems in the church, and then you get to, but you get to read Second Corinthians, the problems not getting, there's still problems in the church, and one of the big ones he's addressing in, in 2 Corinthians is the fact that there are false uh, apostles there, false teachers that actually claim to be apostles, mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll see that as you read, and he's, uh, matter of fact, in chapter 11, he really goes right after that issue of uh, defending his apostolic position and pointing out how these folks that come in are false, and one of the first place he goes is, hey, these people are teaching a false gospel, a false Christ. Okay, And a lot of people, even in our day, use the Bible, read verses out of the Bible about Christ, misinterpret them, and in essence, they are preaching a false Christ. You know, false Christ. And then look at uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And you know what doctrines of demons is just, quite frankly, I look at that as a synonym to false gospel, false teaching, doctrines of demons. There's, uh, you know, there's just two sides to that. There's a kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan will be one day utterly destroyed. Now, another one in Acts chapter 16. Hey, Bob, Yo. Yes. Just the wording on that can be interesting for uh, you know, maybe younger Christians about departing from the faith. You know, because you really don't, you can't lose your faith. Oh, yes. Just, just Okay, all right, good enough. Clarifying on verse 1, what, is, what do we mean by some will fall away from the truth? I believe those are the folks that, uh, well, John talks about in First John where he says, you know, you know they weren't really of us, because if they were, 
of us, they wouldn't have left. And that's a loose paraphrase, <laughs> loose uh, rendition of that. Where, and it's, these are those that folks that, uh, well, Hebrews talks about it too, you know, they've tasted of the heavenly gifts. And it's those that had at one point in time made a profession of faith, even enjoyed the faith, and then apostatized, you know, and left and rejected. A great example, I don't know if you, are you familiar with a guy named Bart Ehrman, anybody? Mm-hmm. He's one of the uh, recent uh, prolific heretics of our day. There's a guy who's been through, um, he's a doctor of, of theology, and just one day just walked away from the faith and now goes out there and actually debates and argues against the gospel. And that's, that's where apostates can, they can actually go to that uh, degree of uh, falling away. So, yeah, and, and so th- that's what uh, it's meaning here because we know from Scripture that, Okay. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, their own conscience is seared with a hot iron. They forbid marriage. They abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. No, you're right. He explains it there. It says, I'll just read it. Um, by doctrines of demons, verse 1, then verse 2, by means of hypocrisy of liars and seared in their own conscience with, the, with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage, uh, advocates abstaining from foods which God has created with gratefully shared in those by believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Okay, so basically what Paul is going on is that he's given an example of a doctrine of demon and these are what's what is being described there in verses two and three are the early stages of what would eventually be called gnosticism colossians talks about it uh praying to angels where you have the the higher knowledge and everything material is evil and then they teach things like well christ couldn't have come in the flesh and died on the cross and you notice in John, in John's epistles, he says, uh, who is the Antichrist? But those that deny that Jesus came in the flesh. You know, stuff like that. So it's all these heresies. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the church has started, and it didn't take long for heresies to come flooding in. And there's even more today than there was back then. I mean, you had a couple of big, you had Judaism was, the Judaizers were the first big heresy. Faith plus works. Remember remember the uh, Acts 15, where the Council of Jerusalem, where it says where people were coming in and saying, oh, you must be circumcised to be saved. You know, you must obey the law. You know, it's faith and works. No, <laughs> it's not. See, that was one of the, that was the first heresy to come in. And then um, it moves on from there. Gnosticism comes in. And, of course, you've had people all throughout the ages denying the deity of Christ. Okay. And, uh, again, that's still... That's still with us. Well, yeah. Could it be, um, I'll just use my personal example of many years of going to a 
Santa Rosa Christian Church, a huge church in Sonoma County, and thinking I was a Christian, uh, doing the things I was supposed to do, um, Bible studies and singing and all that. And um, then along came a wave of very non uh, false teachers, a wave of an experiential mm -hmm. thing um, that people were going to that I went to and, and had um, some very strange experiences with this thing associated with the church that ended up splitting the church. Mm. Then we we moved to Oregon and I I realized I'm not a believer. Mm. I really thought I was. I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. I was looking like a Christian, but along came this false teaching that um, that really messed up our church. But I think it kind of needed to be. Right. I mean, there there's sometimes good reasons for church splits. Okay, I mean that's. I know I had some friends of ours that were calling me for months and months and months, talking to them over the phone, like, "What do we do? What do we do? What do we do?" <laughs> and the one thing I, I you need to do what you feel is right before the Lord, because one of the things I never would never, especially over the phone, say, "Oh yeah, you need to leave the church." I I, I don't even like using those words <laughs> you need to leave the church you know i just don't even like saying that but there are occasion that you've got no choice you know either they you can't minister there or the the, the, the gospel's going south or something some anyway but i can see how i would be this category back then well kind of yeah there, and there's a there's shades of different like one of the things like um you go back to second corinthians 4 3 where the, the god of this age blinds people False religious systems is a, is one of the ways people are blinded, and you get uh, they can get carried off on uh, emotionalism. I mean that's big, and they're going for the feeling, you know, <laughs> and you know emotions can be very deceptive. They can be very deceptive, and um, that's why they, it. As we're going to see when we get into the uh, armor of God. The word of God is is shown is described as being both a defensive and offensive part of your the soldier's gear, <laughs> okay? Because it's extremely important, and um, <clears throat> that's why the the better we know truth, the better we're going to spot error. It's like I keep using this example because it's good. Folks in like the Secret Service and places like that, that the people that uh, uh, the G men. Government agents, remember them in the old '50s movies? Yeah, uh, how they tell a, conf a a counterfeit bill? They're training to teach them how to spot counterfeits. Learn at the look at the real thing and know exactly what that thing looks like, feels like, smells like, tastes like, all kinds of whatever weird stuff they do with, you know, the test. And you, they know what a real one is, and then it's then you can spot the phony. It's like I'm messing with my own time, but I know. In years past, I've taught little classes on the cults, you know, do a little thing on Jehovah's Witness and Mormons and stuff like that. Well, that has its place sometimes, but the better thing to do is just teach truth. And the errors will show themselves for what they are, you know. Just know the truth. You'll know that, hey, Jesus is God, you know, not the brother of Michael or Satan or something weird, you know. I mean, yeah, so anyway... Okay, Acts sixteen sixteen. 
And then it happened <clears throat> as we were going to a place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a, a spirit of divination met us, who was uh, bringing her ma- uh, masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and, and, us, and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming that the, the, you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. And when when her master saw that their hope and profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Again, uh, demonic activity is associated with the magic arts. Another thing associated with the magic arts are drugs. Matter of fact, we won't go there, but the uh, the word sorceries that pops up in Revelation and other places, the word sorceries is that Greek word pharmakeia, from which we get the word pharmacy. See? So, it's... Um, and we can go back, we won't look there, but you go back in our next bullet point, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and other places, but all forms of spiritism is forbidden by God. Don't go there. Don't need to go there. Um, Another thing you won't see are uh, ministers of, um, you know, chasing devil or exercising devils. You don't see exorcist ministries. People, Paul as an apostle, had that as part of his giftedness. But you don't see people run around willy-nilly casting out demons, almost like demon chasers. Okay. And also, we won't turn there, but in 2 Kings 21, listening to spirits or spiritists will lead often, I should have said, to gross immorality. With uh, demonic activity and demonic worship, it's there. Now, demon possession and power. Mark nine seventeen and t- we're going to see in Mark nine that uh, demons can cause physical disabilities. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure we. I think we all know that. I don't even know if we need to turn there because um, I do want to leave time to deal with our friends the Nephilim. You skip right to it. Okay, wait. Okay. Mark nine nine seventeen says And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and and stiffens out. And I have told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. I'm gonna stop there. The point we're trying to make today. And this is the one that says, well, you know, bless the disciples. They just didn't have enough faith to this one off. But that's beside our point today. This is the fact that demons have that kind of power. Okay, they have that kind of power. In our 
society. We don't see it that much in terms of an outward display of demonic activity, or maybe we just don't recognize it. But uh, I don't know for sure, and I, so, I'm, so therefore I'm not going to say. Um, so, but they do, and there was one that uh, I know there's stories in here, or, or I should say accounts in, in the New Testament where Jesus casts out demons all over the place. And one account, and it, it may be this one, I, I looked up so many this past couple of weeks, where as the demon was leaving this poor fella, just kind of threw him to the ground. I mean, unlike like one more shot on his way out. I mean, there, which shows you the evilness of, of, of the demonic world. <clears throat> we move down to the next second bullet point number two there. They also can produce great strength. Remember the, remember the uh, fella, the uh, demoniac of the Gadarenes, when, when, they, when they came across the, the Sea of Galilee to the, to the area of Gadara, the fellow that uh, was breaking out of chains and everything, running around in the tombs, cutting himself, wondering why nobody invites him over. <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's just like, so you have to assume he had terrible table manners. So, but yeah, I mean, you, they, they just demonstrate this strength all the time. Acts, look at Acts 19. Acts 19 is a good one. This is, oh, they're all good. But, I mean, this one's, uh, it, it makes a couple of quick points. Acts 19, 14 to 16. says, and seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And, they, and the, uh, <clears throat> these were Jewish exorcists, by the way. I'll be back up in 13. We find that out, verse 13. These are Jewish exorcists, all right? And that's kind of where I was going before. Like, you don't see a ministry of Christian exorcists. That's just, we don't, you don't see that anywhere. Who went from, okay, anyway, so they went from place to place, supposedly casting out demons. So here's verse 14, and seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, yeah, the people that supposedly cast out demons on TV, I mean, this is, I don't know if it speaks ill of me or not, but my a secret internal prayer is, one more time on TV, could you do, do this one? <laughs> and the evil spirit answered to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. It's almost like a scene from the movie. But who are you? <laughs> who are you? Okay. And then verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them. Remember, there's seven of these guys. So this one guy with, with that demonic demon inside him uh, leaped on them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I mean, they... they they actually, yeah, they they got flogged right there. <laughs> um, I've never seen it, but it reminds me of a naked dead. It, well, it's, well it, it, as an old old saying goes way back to high school, it's like they look sound like they got beat upon upon head and shoulders. You know, they were pretty well got worked over. And demons can actually move people from place to place. They'll take them. They'll move them over here. Move them over there. Luke eight twenty nine. See, we had a request for that one. We'll look at it. (laughs) 
Luke 8.29 says this, For, for he had been com- commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it, had, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. Just drag that demon out into the desert. And this is Luke's rendering of the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three talk about them. So you put them together, it's quite a story. It's, it's quite a deal, what's going on there. And, um, and we demons, just like we know that the, the elect angels took on human form, remember two of them came with, uh, I believe, the, uh, with the Lord and spent the day with Abraham, remember that? And then later the two angels went down to Sodom. Okay, Now here is where demons, I believe, are taking on human form. And uh, let's look at Genesis 6. Again, one of those passages that... I guess the theological term for it just freaks people out. It... Genesis 6, 1 through 5 says, Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, now we saw that earlier, the sons of God is a term applied to angels, angelic beings. Okay? So that would be whether they're the elect angels or the unsaved angels, or the fallen angels. So the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, And they took wives of themselves, whomever they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, they just bore to them, the implying children, those who were the mighty men of of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and <clears throat> and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and his and it grieved and it was grieved in his spirit. And then the decision to wipe out man was made, <clears throat> or at least expressed. Now we compare that verse. We'll stop there for a moment. Let's compare that with First Peter three. We'll come back. We'll come back to Genesis, but First Peter chapter three. So we just get our <clears throat> get our bearing straight here. This is one of those that, apart from interpreting Scripture with Scripture, which we should always do, this thing would continue to be a, kind of a weird mystery. It's it's weird anyway, but. Okay, First Peter three nineteen and twenty. This is speaking of Jesus after the crucifixion, in which also he went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Hmm. So we've got some spirits in the time of Noah that were tossed into prison like a dungeon. In the time of Noah. I believe those were the sons of God. Now let's keep moving. We'll, let's look at Jude 6. 
Jude 6 says, and angels, again, speaking, now this is a, uh, Jude is one of those that addresses the subject of apostasy, by the way. And so, now he's addressing apostate angels. We talked about it last week, how the angels were created, and a certain portion of them, approximately one-third of the angels, fell and went along with Satan. Okay, we saw that last time. And so here they are being described here, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So now we talk again, a group of angels that are kept imprisoned. And one more, and this is one of the additions I made, Second Peter, back to Second Peter chapter two, verse four. And Peter is essentially, 2 Peter chapter 2 runs parallel with Jude. They're speaking of the same thing, apostasy. <clears throat> 2 Peter 2, 4. Again, speaking of apostates, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So both Peter and Jude use those use a group, a, a group of the fallen angels who left their first estate, left their first bode, and what did they do? They took on human form and cohabitated with human beings. And there was actually children produced from that cohabitation, and that's all I know, don't know what anybody looks like, don't know what they did, but I know these were <clears throat> mean guys. Now, what about the Nephilim? Let's go back there, and, and what about everything? We'll go back to Genesis 6, and if you have questions, fire away. But let's, let's look at the Nephilim first, because I don't believe the Nephilim is the name for the angels it could be a description of their offspring as being, let's look at the 6.4 says, <clears throat> we'll read it, let's read it very closely. It says, in verse 4 it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of man came. So when the sons of man came, the Nephilim were already there. They were already there. See the wording? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. And those, the Nephilim, were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Okay? If we follow that term, Nephilim, we, it, the word itself only appears one other time. And that's in Numbers, which is obviously after the flood. But let's see what the, the context of Numbers 13 is. And I think this would clear up a lot of the confusion of it. <clears throat> Numbers 13.33 says, There also we saw... Um, <clears throat> now this is... They're, they're, they're talking about... Remember when they, the spies were sent into the land? that spy out the land. 
This is based upon the report coming back. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. Sons of Anak, kind of file that name away for a moment. And we became like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. These were some big dudes, okay? They were big. They were so big that the uh, spies felt like little grasshoppers in comparison, all right? Um, or at least 10 of the 12 did. Now, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving forward here. Compare that now with Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Now, the, now remember, Nephilim, the word Nephilim means strong, mighty, big, powerful. It can also be translated giants. Okay, that's also, that's in our notes. I missed that bullet point. Okay, now Deuteronomy one twenty eight says, Where can we go, uh, where can we go up? Our, our brethren have uh, made our hearts melt, saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. Besides, we saw the sons of Anakim there. That's the same family. Anak, Anakim, sons of Anakim there. And then move forward again to 9, 2, chapter 9, verse 2. <clears throat> again, that, that, again, this is a recount of how these guys, God said, I will give you that land, and these guys were getting, were, these guys were chickening out, okay? Um, a I'm going to start verse 1 to get the better context. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over Jordan today to go to, uh, dis- to, a, to dispose of nations greater and mightier than you, greater cities fortified to heaven. Okay, this, Deuteronomy, remember, is Moses' last message just prior to crossing over to take. Remember, 40 years have passed. That unbelieving generation died off in the wilderness. And so now here the, the next generation is moving in. Verse 2. A people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and from and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Remember, there's that Anak, the one that goes way back to, we first saw in, in Numbers. So Anak, Anakim, the, the sons of Anak. I guess that was a group of people that were big and tall. I mean, we have big and tall people in our day and age. They play basketball, a lot of them. I mean, there's, there's tall people. Okay, um, but these were store. huge. Does that? They have their own store. They do. They, the big and tall shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're mean too. So they you better find something for them if they go in. <laughs> okay, now let's look at Joshua eleven. I mean, because this this whole idea carries forward. And I think, it, to, to me, it cleared up the issue on, on these crazy guys, or not crazy guys, but uh, you, you wouldn't say that to their face. <laughs> but uh, Joshua, yeah. Joshua 11, 21 and 22. Then Joshua came at the time and cut off, and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron and Debir, from, 
hey, Joshua's winning the battle against these guys. All right? <clears throat> from Anab and from the hill country of, of Judah and from the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, some remained. Now let's move ahead to 1 Samuel, chapter 17. He wiped out, Joshua wiped out a whole mess of them, but there was a little group of them still hanging around in Gaza, a name that should be very familiar to to us if we we listen to the news at all (laughs) over the past, what, 30, 40 years, the Gaza, Gaza Strip, still there. <clears throat> you know, it, well, first, real close. First Samuel, First Samuel, seventeen four. This is the uh, account of David and Goliath. And so, verse four. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath. There you go. You see how that Goliath uh, from Gath. <clears throat> whose height was six cubits and a span. I think that's somewhere along eight foot something, as I remember. I didn't even bother looking it up. We, we know the story. We know the story. He was big. I mean, he had a spear like the size of a flagpole. I mean, this guy was huge. You know, this guy was huge. And what is he? He's from Gath, where the remnants left over from the Nephilim, the family or the line of Anakim, Anakim. So he's of that line, which is one of the reasons he's big, you know, and those genes popped up and out came Goliath and he grew to be huge. Okay. But he's up there. And so that's what the Nephilim are, great, big, powerful individuals. And when you go back into the context of Genesis chapter six, that pre-flood a time frame when the world was just, with the exception of eight people, just just sin was just running the place. Okay? And in a time of where God, to the point where uh, Noah was going to build that ark and God was actually, was giving the earth 120 years to repent, which of course they never did. And you read, uh, Peter refers back to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just you know, putting wood together and building a, a big boat. He was also preaching why he was doing it. Okay? Now we don't have any of his sermons, but we can but our New Testament apostle tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Okay, because they were big and mean, and they they were part of the ruling class on the earth just by their physical size. And uh, demons were there with the Nephilim. And so you have this picture. And also, remember, Genesis was written by who? Moses. Moses. And, and Genesis 6 was way before Moses' time. And so you figure Moses was writing... 
Genesis along with Exodus and Numbers during that 40-year wilderness period. And it's kind of like Moses, like Isaiah, when he gave a, a futuristic prophecy, inspired by God, wrote it down. Moses doing the same way, except Moses was looking back in history, and I believe what Genesis, what he was, what God had Moses, Moses write Genesis for, was set the record straight on the history from creation to his time, which is the birth of Moses in Genesis. And I think he's setting context with Nephilim because they are a factor, and they were they're a matter of history, pre and post flood history. Well, the word Nephilim means big, strong, mean, and great. Nephilim itself, I don't think, is a race or a... I think it's a term describing monstrous people more than anything else. We don't, you know, it's, that's how the word's used, the Nephilim, like the biggies, <laughs> you know, or everyone. Um, I always thought uh, that it was the Nephilim were a prey of Yeah, it does, right there in Genesis. They did produce they did, they did produce offspring and some of them could have been big and mean and ugly. Okay. But it's telling us there was Nephilim there when they came, after they after the angels came. They were there also after when the angels came. And so maybe that was just uh explaining to the people. Remember, a lot of before Moses before this stuff was written, and not everybody had copies of the Bible back then either because they had to had to go to synagogue to get it. Uh, and in the wilderness wanderings, and when you get it out of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, they didn't even have synagogues. Okay? I mean, it was just these things progressed as time, time went on. And it shows the justice of God. So, you know, if you're, if you're mean, bad, horrible on earth, why would he... I mean, if you didn't have all that context, you would wonder, well, why would he flood the earth? Why? I mean, yeah. you know, and then it's showing that yeah. God's just, that he's also gracious. Too. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it's about time to wrap us up because of the time. Are we going another week of this? Um, <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> I could, I'll go ahead and finish the, the bottom, and then we'll just we'll kind of roll right into the armor of God. I'm no no more updates. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Because I'm not bringing any. No, I'm just. I'll bring what I got. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Let's close in a word of prayer. I need it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together, and Lord, too, we just, we thank you that, um, yes, Satan is a powerful being, and so are his demons, but Lord, they're, they hold, they don't even hold a candle to you, and therefore, we have the security in you, we have no reason to fear Satan or his demons, because our trust, and our hope, and our strength is in you, and we thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.